Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can uh, finally have Sunday school again, Lord. It's been almost a year, and uh, you can just tell um, something's different this morning, Lord, and that you're working in here, and I pray that you would, uh, you would speak to each and every one of us in here and just give Stephen the words to speak, and that we would have a good week and a good summer heading into camp, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... Um, just kicking around a few things, you know, I didn't want to start a, a something brand new that would last weeks and weeks just because we have three weeks and then some of you guys are going to be leaving us tear. <laughs> but, but don't forget, with that clap, we get some eighth graders that might be coming in. It is quite a group. God bless them. Okay, so anyway. Bless their little hearts. Yes, bless their hearts. Um, by the way, that's what we always used to say when we were younger, uh, when we were in youth group. Uh, that was one of the things that was our, our, our phrase where they said, uh, oh, what, what was it? I'm trying to think of the exact phrase. If there was somebody that was kind of like slightly irritating and they were annoying to us and we like, I forget what it was. It was something like that. Something like bless their little heart. Yeah, it was something like that. It was um, not God love them. Um, <laughs> it was something like that. I can't remember now. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll remember it later. I'll probably remember it like halfway through the lesson and then all of a sudden I'll just blurt it out and then that'll be it. They're like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Anyway, okay. All right, so anyway, going back, getting, getting this, this derailed train back on the tracks. So, um, three-week series, just trying to figure out what to do. And so, as I was kicking some things around, um, I really realized that there's only three times in the Bible where the devil speaks. Now, he shows up several times in the Bible, but there's only three times in the Scriptures where he actually speaks. And the one thing about God and His Word that I want you to always understand is that there are many different things that God could have written. Um, it even talks about it in, in the book of John, uh, that you know, if all the things were written down of what Jesus said and what he did, that the worlds could not contain the volume of books. There's so many things that Jesus could have done, or that he did, that if it were to have a written record, there's no way that you could actually write all of it down. And so when I look at the scriptures, and I see that even just Jesus' life encompasses just a small fraction of the scriptures, God uniquely chose each word in each event of the Bible on purpose. And he doesn't mince words. He didn't make mistakes. What he wanted in his word is what is in his word. And you can have confidence in that. So when you see something in the Bible like first mentions, you know, the first time a word is mentioned or the first time a phrase is mentioned or last words or the fact that only three times in the Bible Satan speaks. I mean, God could have put a ton of things that the devil has spoken. I mean, you go back to the rebellion that he had even before Adam and Eve in Isaiah 14 in Ezekiel 28, and God tells us what he said, but it's not word for word. There's only three times in the scriptures where the devil is speaking and God records the very words that came out of the devil's mouth. So that is something very, very important for us, and there's a lot that we can learn from that. And I've been looking at this. I think there are three things that will help us, especially identifying our enemy uh, when it comes to our own personal life. And I really think this is a fantastic uh, series of messages leading up into camp. Because camp is a time where, and I think most of you would agree that to participate in camp, that when you get away at camp, it is a time for you to really hear God clearer than most other days throughout the year. 
because there's no distractions, you're out of your routine, you get to hear the Bible preached twice a day, you have a set-aside time where you can get in the scriptures, and everyone else is doing it, and so it's one of those deals where it feels like, okay, well, I should be in my Bible. You're, you're talking about the Bible. You have discussions at the end uh, with your cabin about the things you're learning, how God is moving you. You can see how God is working in other people. It's just, it's, it's incredible. I love camp. The issue is when we come back from camp. The issue is when we get back into our routines back home with the day-to-day -day distractions, uh, just all the things that unfold that that pull us away. You get back into school, you get back into sports, you get back into your family, and it's like a lot of times God and the Bible just gets put on the back burner. So you need to be aware of these things heading into camp so that way you can prepare your heart. So looking at the three times that the devil speaks in the Bible, I believe is going to be a, a great way to start cultivating or, or breaking up the fallow ground of your heart to be ready for God when he speaks to you at camp. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. I got a, a couple of review points here because I think this will set up the context really, really good <clears throat> heading into the first time the devil speaks in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, we've mentioned this a lot. This has been part of our Q&As a number of times. We tend to always kind of come back to the devil and his fall, because uh, really it's the start of everything. It's the start of sin. It's the start of, of rebellion. It's the start of you know God making a special creation, Lucifer, and him not being content with the role that God had created him for, and he rebels against that. And Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 really detail all of those events. And I'll just give to you in a quick summary. Okay, so you have Ezekiel 28. God created Lucifer with what kind of a body? What do you know? We've talked about it. What did he have? What now? Yeah, I mean, it was a celestial body, but what was it made up of? Ezekiel 28 talks about it. Yes, precious stones. What else? Instruments. Yes, musical instruments. And who was he? What was his title? He was the... No. no. I mean, yes, he was in Isaiah 14, but in Ezekiel 28, he was the... Anointed cherub. Yes, the anointed cherub. So he wasn't an angel. When you study the Bible, there's a difference between angels and cherubim and angels and seraphim. So there's angels that are just, you know, you got like Gabriel, you got Michael, who's called the archangel, but then you have seraphim and you have cherubim. Those are not angelic creatures. They're celestial creatures, but they're not angels. And so he was the anointed cherub, and what was his job? Yes, he covered the throne of God. And so we, we've talked about that. You have God's throne. So let's pretend for a second this is God's throne. And there are four cherubim that are at the corner. So you have one here, one here, one here, one here. And then the devil, Lucifer, before he became the devil, as Lucifer, he was the anointed cherub that covered God's throne. Now, as the anointed cherub, another term for that could be Messiah. He was the anointed one, and he's the only one out of God's creation to be anointed and to have that role. And he covered God's throne. And God, and according to 1 John chapter 1, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So when the presence of God shows up, anytime the presence of God showed up in the Bible, it was a bright, bright light. And so here you have God and his throne, and his presence is there, and you have Lucifer who stands in front of God's throne, and him having this body that's full of gems, in musical instruments, what do you think would have happened when God's light would just shine upon Lucifer? 
Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I don't know if the lights would make that sound, but yes. Um, so you'd have, you'd have this most incredible light show, and the most incredible thing you've ever seen. It takes God, who is already magnificent and glorious in power and strength and, and majesty, and, and all of his creation would fear before him, and now you have just on top of that how he's glorified even more because of the display of Lucifer. And see, that's a great picture of what God desires from you and I. God, He has all the glory in the world. He has all the power. He needs nothing. He needs absolutely nothing. But He has created you because when He shines upon you and you reflect God, He is glorified more than if He were to be alone. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's like your, your responsibility and my responsibility. God created you so He could receive more glory. And He deserves it. And so that's one of the reasons why he created us. I mean, the big one is he wanted a relationship with us. But this is where God created Lucifer to fill this role. And he was in charge. And he was a king. He had a throne. Isaiah 14 talks about how he had a throne. And he ruled over God's creation at that point in time. And then something happened. What happened with Lucifer? He wanted to be like Yes, he wanted to be like the Most High. He allowed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to enter into his heart, and that's where sin originated. And because of that, he was no longer content with what God created him for, and he did not yield to God's authority, and God's power, and God's will for his life, and then he rebelled. And so here's the problem that you and I have. We rebel, just like Lucifer, because Lucifer talked with Adam and Eve, which we're going to talk about this morning, and followed his lead, and as a result, we have that same spirit of rebellion. And so when we rebel against God, when we do things to serve ourselves, when we are not content with the way that God made us, when we are not satisfied with our life, or we're not satisfied with how God made you, you have the spirit of Lucifer when he fell into sin. And so do I. And so we have to be careful. We have to be very, very careful. So the fall of Lucifer, he is the originator of sin. And because of that, he ended up falling. But now what resulted in that is that the battle for the throne. Because God rules and God reigns and Lucifer wants to rule and he wants to reign. He wants to rule and reign in rebellion against God. And now comes the battle for the throne. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3 for me. Acts chapter 3. This is the theme of the Bible. <clears throat> From Genesis to Revelation, the theme of the Bible is not Jesus Christ. It is not salvation. Those are pieces and parts of the theme. But when you look at the theme overall, the theme of the Bible is the battle for the throne and the fact that God is going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. The devil is going to try to put up a fight, but it's not going to be much of one, and he's going to be absolutely crushed. So in Acts chapter 3, you have verse 19. Peter's preaching at the end of his message. He says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. God has been talking about this time of restitution. He's been talking about these times of refreshing that will come when Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all of God's creation once and for all. And he's been talking about it from the very, very beginning. And you can read Revelation 19 through 21. That's the culmination of it. That's the fulfillment of that prophecy where Jesus Christ comes back and he takes the world by force. But when Christ comes back, you can read this in Revelation 19. When Christ comes back and those of us that are with him, 
We follow him on those white horses. The Antichrist is ready to meet him for battle. And you can see that in 19. The Antichrist has done everything that he can to, to gather all of the kings and the armies of the earth. And he is leading a rebellion against incoming invaders of Jesus Christ and us. And they're not going to be able to even stand the, the onslaught that Christ is going to give them. And you can read that in Revelation 19. So that's important to understand. The fall of Lucifer, the battle for the throne. And then thirdly, you have to understand that Satan is the author of confusion. Satan is the author of confusion. Anytime you have something unfold in your life that is super confusing, especially spiritually, that, first of all, is not from God. I've been involved in several things. I remember when I was in sixth grade and um, uh, I was at my dad's church and it was the first time that our church went through a serious attack where our church was actually split. And as a result, um, half the church left, most of the staff left, and it was just my dad and another guy and about half the church remained. Uh, it was super confusing. It was super confusing because lies were spread, things happened, and it was super, super confusing. I've had things happen in my life from that point forward, little things, big things. Anytime there's something confusing, you're like, what in the world is going on? You better believe that's not God. God does not make things confusing. He makes things very clear and very simple. The devil makes things very, very confusing. That's one of the reasons why there are so many religions in the world today. Because he wants to make things super confusing. Because they're like, well, there's all these churches that they, they call in the name of God, and they say they worship Jesus, and they preach from the Bible, but they all believe different things. Confusing. And this is what he does. He wants to try to water down the truth and confuse the truth so that way people fall prey and say, well, what's the point? Or other people say, well, it's basically all the same thing anyway. No, it's not. It can't be. Because God is holy and he is perfect and pure. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, He's not kidding around. There's only one way. And so if he can make it seem like there's many different ways, well, then more people are going to make it to hell, and he's going to be able to steal glory away from God. Because the thing that was supposed to glorify God is now in rebellion against God and will be sent to hell because of their sin. And that's exactly what he wants. He does not want God to receive the glory that he deserves. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says that, that God is not the author of confusion. In James 3.16 is a great cross-reference to that as well. So these are three things that are very, very important. So when the devil speaks, it's always going to be dealing with sin. He's always going to be fighting for the battle of your heart. He's always going to be fighting against God and wanting to usurp God's authority in your life. And he's always going to make things very, very confusing. Very confusing. And the only way you're going to be able to make it through when the devil attacks, whether it's, you know, I, I highly doubt that he's attacking any of us directly. But as far as the devils that follow him, absolutely. People that follow him and are trying to spread lies on his behalf. People that are actually possessed by devils. I still believe that happens today. That can enter in. We've had people come into our church that are super weird. Super, super weird. And I would not be surprised that they are possessed by some kind of a devil. When any of those things happen in your life, there's only one thing that you can do in order to cut through the nonsense and make it clear. And what is it? The Word of God. That's it. It's the one thing that you have right in front of you that most Christians take for granted that is the only thing that's going to save you. It's the only thing. You need to be diving into your Bible. Reading your Bible is so much more than just, well, I'm supposed to be a good Christian. Like, that's not how... This works. It's not how this operates. God has given you His Word in order to cut through all the junk that's going on in your life and in this world for you to make sense of what's going on. And a lot of people aren't willing to give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. But I am willing to bet you 
everything that I have and everything that I will ever have in the rest of this life that I have, that the Bible will stand true and there, there is no lie found in it and it will be sound and it will be the thing that actually judges every man and every woman at their final judgment. And so it's better for us to take heed now and listen to these things because God reveals these things to us to help us. Go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Let's see the first time the devil speaks. Genesis 3. Genesis, first book in your Bible. Just find the table of contents. Go a little bit to your right. You'll find it. Chapter 3. I guess if you have another book instead of Genesis in the front, then you should probably... Burn it. <laughs> huh? Genesis? Uh, open the cover. Table of contents. Genesis. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> okay. All right. Genesis chapter chapter 3. Okay. So we have uh, the fall of Lucifer happens between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. And then you have uh, what we term as the recreation, where God recreates the heaven and the earth uh, during the six days and in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he gives a little bit more details about Adam and Eve and the role of Adam and Eve. And we've been covering that on Wednesday nights during our relationship series. Um, and so that's been, that's been fun working through that. And then now you have chapter 3. So now everything that God has made, he calls it very good. And it's past the seventh day and God has rested. So he has completed all of his work and it is absolutely Good, And he loves it. He sees what it is, how it can glorify him, and he loves it. And the first thing that we find in chapter 3 is now the serpent. So the devil shows up, not a surprise, to try to corrupt everything that God had done. And now here you have the serpent. So verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And then we see that God comes down and actually is talking with them. So here's the picture. From verse 8, we know that God comes down and He's talking with them. God had a relationship with them. God would come down. I don't know when He would come down. I don't know if it was like once a day, once a week. I have no idea. But we know from verse 8 that Jesus would come down. And He would talk with them. He would spend time with them. He would probably be teaching them things. Showing them things about Himself. Having a loving relationship with them. And so the devil shows up at the right place, at the right time to the right person in order to get in there right before Jesus comes back. You get that? I didn't even plan on that until this very moment. That was one of those things that God just all of a sudden went, I love how he does that. We are living in the last days of the church period where things are more confusing now than ever. And he is coming back soon to get us and to take us home. We don't know when. We're not date setters. We're not crazy people. We are season setters. But we're not date setters. <laughs> and I will tell you that it is nearing sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner. Remember what I said last night, last year at camp? I wouldn't be surprised if we weren't here by the time that camp came. And it, even if it does, 
great. So then it's probably going to be next year. And that's my mindset now. And I've not been 100% faithful to that. I've made some mistakes over the years, over this past year, over these past months. But that's something that I need to continue to remember because as the day approaches, I need to make sure that I have my stuff in order because I don't want Jesus to show up and me being undone. I want to try to do whatever I can to make sure that I've, I've talked to him about everything in my life, that I've been dealing with issues, that I've not put stuff off, that there are no issues between me and other people, that I want to try to do everything that I can to try to serve him in this time. I've, I've got to do that. And the devil shows up right before Jesus comes. And I'm telling you, that's exactly how it is in our life today. So you'd be wise to take heed. So let's take a look at this. We see here that he questions and he doubts the Word of God. And he wants us to, to question. He wants us to doubt the Word of God. And we're going to see how he does this. So letter A here. So God clearly established His Word. If you go back to Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God clearly established His Word. Somebody read that for me. 16 and 17. Go ahead, Carson. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so that is what God said. If Adam and Eve, jokingly, had a Bible, it would contain these two verses. This is what God told them to do. He told them also to be fruitful and multiply in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he says, Of every tree you can freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And who did he tell this to, by the way? Adam. Verse 15, look at it. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. So he commanded the man because Eve is not even here yet. Eve was created several verses later uh, in verse 21. In verse 22, the woman was created and God brought her unto Adam. So God commanded Adam. He told Adam the, what, what the whole deal was. This is my word. This is what I want you to do. And so whose responsibility was it to tell Eve exactly what God had said? Adam. As a good husband and as a good father, as a good protector, he is responsible for his family. And the beginning of that family is his wife. And he is responsible to tell her exactly what God had said. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus, when he came down, would talk to him about these things. There's no doubt about that. But the day in and day out, maybe when Jesus wasn't around, Adam had that responsibility. And so here, the serpent shows up, and he shows up to who? Eve, in verse 1, he doesn't show up to Adam, he shows up to Eve. Now, this isn't anything sexist. Satan is very strategic. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that if he were to go straight to Adam, he'd probably get shot down because Adam knows God's word objectively. But the way to get Adam and Eve to fall was, let's get in there and I want to deceive Eve because if I deceive Eve, Adam loves her and he knows that he can't do what God has told him to do without her so if I get her deceived, then I can get him to follow. It's a perfect plan from the devil. It's the perfect plan, and that's exactly what he does. So let's take a look at this in a little bit more detail. Letter B. Satan questions God's word, and he subtly frames a question that creates doubt. Satan questions God's word, and he subtly frames a question that creates doubt. And this is where you've got to be careful when you're dealing with people that... Um, 
delve into spiritual things or supernatural things or false religions or false doctrines, they do this kind of stuff. They know what they're trying to get people to think and they want to frame questions specifically that creates doubts in their mind. Verse 1 of Genesis 3 again. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I mean, that's pretty crafty. When you look at that question, that's pretty, pretty crafty. Did he say that you shouldn't eat, that you can't eat of every tree? Because look back at it in verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of how many trees? Every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yea, hath God said, did he actually say that you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? And then verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Which, by the way, what did she leave out there when she spoke? Freely. You may not think that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah, God said we could eat of the trees of the garden. No, God said freely. Take as much as you want. One little thing, even though it seems innocent, like, okay, does that really change what's going on? Okay, it may not if you look at the summary of it, but is that what God said? No, that's not what God said. So now she's saying, this is what God has said, and now she's changed God's word. So who's responsible for that? Adam. That is his responsibility. His wife does not know God's word, does not know exactly what God has said. I'm telling you, every word of God is important. Every single word. Every word. You've got to be able to count that every word in your Bible is exactly what God has said. Because if one word can be removed, then you can make the case that this word can be removed, and that word can be removed, and that word can be Because it really doesn't matter. It's a slippery slope. I want to know exactly what God has said. I don't want to know what anyone thinks what God has said. I don't want to know what someone, someone else from that says that they know different languages says to God. I want to know exactly what God has said. I need to know. I need to be able to wake up every day and throughout my day go to a book and I know that every single word that I have here is God's exact words. It's very important. And if you can't do that, then how do you know that what you have is God's words? First of all, Secondly, if you believe that in your heart, it makes it so much easier to get into, into the Bible. So much easier. I think some of you struggle getting into the Bible because you don't believe that this is God's Word. If you really believed the bottom of your heart that every word in this book came directly from God and He wrote it for you, you would be in the Bible. I'm telling you. And the deceivableness of sin will take that away from you. But I'm telling you, that is the absolute truth. I remember when it clicked with me like that. When I remembered, oh my word. Every word, every single word in this book came directly from God and it's free of error. And he wants me to read it and to understand it. Now, I can't make you see that. I can't make you believe that. Only the Spirit of God can. And I'm telling you, that's one of the big reasons why you don't get in the Bible. Because if you, I mean, think about it. The God that created everything, heaven and earth, by the breath of his mouth, and he, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Out of all the things that he could have done, he authored a book, and he put it in your hands for you to read, for you to understand everything, everything that there is to, to understand about your life and eternity and everything. Why would you not want to get in this thing? 
Like, for real, out of all the things you could do. I think sometimes we're like, man, I really want to watch that movie. Or, oh, man, this, this show has been awesome. I can't wait to watch the next episode. Or, man, the next season, i got to wait six months. Like, we get so excited about these stupid little things, and we don't even give God the time of day. When this is the most important thing that you could ever behold with your eyes. Outside the soul of, of another person, this is the most important thing that you can behold with your eyes. And we treat it like it's just some other book that doesn't mean anything. We can't do that. This could save your life. And not just yours, but the people around you. So you need to understand that and you need to believe that. And I can't make you believe me. If I could, I would. <laughs> I would say, you, mm, you believe in this. I, I would totally do that, but I can't. I can't do that. This is something that you have to come to grips with on your own. And oftentimes, and I hate this because this is the testimony from my life, things in my life have had to come crashing down for me to understand some of this stuff. And even now, there are times where things are going good where I forget these things. And I need, I need to come back into remembrance of it over and over and over again. It helps me to teach stuff like this because it relights that fire inside of my heart about these issues. So, Eve adds and she removes from God's word. Look what she says in verse 3. So we already see that she takes away freely, verse 3, but of the tree, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it. Did he say that? Sorry. He said thou. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said you shouldn't eat of it. But did he say it was in the midst of the garden? No, he didn't. Okay, just, I mean, I'm telling you, we got to take a look at this. It's, she, she says it's in the midst of the garden, all right? Now, it might have been, and maybe it's not a big deal, but she says this tree is in the midst of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Is that what God said? No, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said just don't eat of it. Now, God did say, yes, you will die in that day. So do you see how his question causes her to start doubting God's word? And it's clear that when she's put on the spot to give an answer, she doesn't actually give a 100% accurate answer. This is so important. And this is why in your life, when things come up, you really don't know what you believe until you're in the moment. You really don't. You can say whatever you want and you can talk a big talk, but until you're in the moment where you actually have to live it out and give an answer, you don't know what you believe. And so it's good for you to be put in situations where your faith is tested. Because if your faith is never tested, how do you know that you actually believe what is true? And if you're never willing to take a stand and to speak, then how do you know that what you believe is actually legit? You got to start taking stands. Your faith actually has to start meaning something. Like even as an example, on Wednesday night, we're talking about biblical dating and relationships. Okay, if you believe what God has said about biblical dating and relationships, well then, does that actually transmit into your life and make a difference? Or you can say, yeah, I don't, ag I don't agree. I, I, I think that it's totally wrong to date lost people. And then three weeks later, you're like, ooh. And then you start dating someone who's lost. Or you get interested in someone who's lost. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that I should be, I should be prepared. I should be spiritually ready to go. That I should be learning how to walk with God and everything. But I'm telling you, she looks pretty cute. It happens all the stinking time. And there's a lot of people that will take steps like that, knowing deep down in their heart they're not ready spiritually, but they're not willing to go to the right people in their life to ask, hey, do you think I'm spiritually ready to date? I can name on one hand the amount of students that have asked me, do you think I'm spiritually ready to date? 
And that is one of the biggest mistakes guys make because they just want to jump into a relationship. And here's what I've found, especially among guys. They have never truly walked with God. They have never been completely satisfied in their relationship with God. And they're trying to find fulfillment in the arms of another girl. And I can say the same thing on the flip side. I think... This is my opinion, but I think it's pretty solid. Over the years of what I've seen is that if you really, if you really learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there are certain people that you would normally be attracted to that would be hideous to you. And that you would never make a move unless you talked to God about it first and you had a peace in your heart that had nothing to do with your emotions. But most people are not willing to do that. Instead, they got to get burned. They got to get hurt by their idiotic mistakes. And they need to go back and say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And he's like, I know, I tried to tell you. But it's okay. Because there's grace and forgiveness, but there's going to be baggage now. There's going to be things you're going to have to deal with because of the consequences of your actions. So here she is, Eve adds and removes from God's words. Letter D. Satan contradicts God's word. He calls God a liar. Satan contradicts God's word, and he directly calls God a liar. He didn't do that at first. He put out a question, and then based on her response, he craftily gets in there to contradict God's word, and he calls God a liar. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That's exactly opposite of what God has said. That is the exact opposite. God said, In the day ye eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Die. So when you eat of that, you are going to die. And then he says, ye shall not surely die. And I'm telling you, there are many passages of the Bible. If you compare translations to translations, there are verses that say the exact opposite of what God has said. The exact opposite. I mean, I'm st- I still freak out over the fact that the NIV calls the devil Jesus in Isaiah 14. I mean, call me crazy, but that's exactly what it does. When you compare Scripture to Scripture, you'll find in Isaiah 14 that the devil, Lucifer, is called the morning star. And the only person that has that title in the Scriptures in Revelation is Jesus Christ. And so I'm telling you, there's stuff like that all over the Scriptures. Some are a lot more open, some are really, really small, but you've got to be careful that the book that you hold in your hand is actually the Word of God. So he directly contradicts God. He didn't do it right out of the gate, but now is the perfect time to do it. Letter E. After contradicting God's word, now Satan can change God's word. Satan changes God's word. He reinterprets God's intent. That's not what the Bible actually says. I mean, yeah, that's what God said, but that's not what he meant. This is what God meant. Oh, it drives me up a wall. Verse 5. For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Alright, now let me tell you something here real quick. He changes the word of God here, but notice, I want you to notice something. When they partake, when they, when they would soon eat the fruit, did this happen? That their eyes were opened? Yes. Okay, yes. Did they know good and evil now? Yes. Yes, because before, what did they know? They knew good. They didn't know evil. And then let me ask you this. You shall be as gods. Nope. Now think about this for a second. Were they? Yes. 
Mm -hmm. They were. Gods, when you look at it and you take that phrase and you search it through the scriptures, it's always uh, associated with people that are, are ruling. And God even calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees at his time, he, he attributes them that they are gods. Rulers, little g, small gods, lords, those type of people. Adam was the king. He was the lord of the whole earth. God gave him that authority. They already were as gods. They were. They were the son of God. He was the son of God. He was as gods. He already had that. So what did they gain out of partaking of the fruit? What's the only thing they gained? A meal. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they need to take some serious thumbs afterward. <laughs> Evil. That's all they got. But do you see the way that he worded this? God doth know that in the day ye thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See, God is holding something back from you. God didn't give you everything. He's holding something back from you. What was he holding back from them? Evil. Why was God withholding evil from them? Because what? Because it's evil. <laughs> because it's evil. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Because he loves them. Yes, because he loves them and he cares about them. I do that with my kids. There are so many times in parenting, like this kind of stuff happens all the time. In parenting, I love my children. So I am going to give them rules and I'm going to give them boundaries and I'm going to tell them the parent curse word, no. <laughs> I'm going to tell them no because I love them. And I'm trying to keep them from evil. And then what do they do in return? Fight give me attitude. They don't understand. I mean, this is where it comes from. This is exactly where it comes from. This is our problem. So here you have the same thing unfolding. He lies to them. He changes God's word and he changes God's intent. He makes God look to be like the bad guy. And then as a result, now she starts to see this from a slightly different perspective. And now you have verse six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So here, letter F, Eve is deceived in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is always the devil's tactic towards you and I. Always. It was good for food. What is that one? Out of those three, what is that? Lust of the flesh, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. No, oh, I missed the second one. Pleasant to the eyes. What's that one? Lust of the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Wisdom. What is that one? Pride of life. Good job by process of elimination. <laughs> yes, you got it. So those are the three tactics that he uses. You see this show up in Matthew chapter 4, which we're going to talk about. That's going to be our last one. Uh, when the devil shows up to Jesus, he uses the exact same tactics again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see it here. You see it in our own lives too. If the devil can get you to question God and question his protection, question his love for you, question his authority, question his word. If he can get you to do that, then you start to entertain things. And now all of a sudden you become enticed by the lust of your flesh. What makes your flesh feel good or satisfies your flesh. You can never forget your flesh is your enemy. You can never forget that. Even when you're craving a cheeseburger in the middle of the night, I'm sorry. It is evil. 
Just kidding, I love cheeseburgers. All right. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. When you look at something, you're like, man, I desire that. I don't have that. I want that. I see someone else have that, and I want it. Or the pride of life. This will make me somebody. This will make me important. This will make me... No, absolutely not. God has given you... Do you understand when the Bible says in Colossians that you are complete in Him, in Jesus Christ, that anything that comes against you with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, you already have in Jesus Christ? Anything that you are enticed in, that you want, that you don't think you have, you actually already have. You already have it. And yet, this thing has popped up in your life that now you think that you don't have something that you actually do have. It's crazy. We're insane. We're insane people. And this is why we need God and His Word and why He's so good to us to give us His book. And then Adam willingly follows his wife into sin. And when you study this out and you find out and you look at this in 1 Timothy, it actually says that Eve was legitimately deceived. Legitimately, This is not a, a knock on her at all. She was legitimately deceived. She was deceived by the devil. And she thought that this decision that she made was actually going to help her and her husband to fulfill God's will for their life. I want you to really get that. I want you to understand that. She legitimately believed in her heart of hearts that this was going to help her and her family. And it was the best decision to make. Adam knew that this was the wrong decision to make and he said nothing. He said nothing. Now, I don't know if Adam was next to her when this unfolded or not, but it doesn't matter. Because let's, let's play this out. Let's say that Adam is there right next to her while this is unfolding. Well, then he's a moron because he didn't speak up and step in between his wife, who he's supposed to love and protect, and the devil. He didn't do it when he should have. And let's say that he's off doing his duties and she's alone. Okay? If that's the case then, then when she brought the fruit unto him, what should he have done? Anyone take it, want to take a gander on that one? Because she already took of it. She already ate of it. So now she's defiled. What should he have done? What should he? What? Yes. Okay. I said that right. I thought I said she. Like, no, it's not a she. It's a he. Sorry. I had a moment. <laughs> what should have Adam done? Okay. Step number one. Don't eat it. <laughs> Obey God. Now what? What if he chose not to eat of the fruit? Now she's defiled. What could he have done? <laughs> Murder! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carson. <laughs> totally. I don't know why I didn't think of that. <laughs> Come on. Think about it. Vanish. Vanish? Okay. Make her throw up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Present the issue to Jesus. Yes! Because who is coming right after? Jesus. Here's what, here's what I picture what should have happened. He would have taken the fruit in his hands and he would have dropped to his knees before Jesus and said, Jesus, we got a problem. The woman that you gave me, she did exactly what we weren't supposed to do. And frankly, it's my fault because I should have been protecting her. I should have told her exactly what you said. And the devil showed up and he deceived her. He showed up as an angel of light and he was super convincing and, and she believed it. And now we've got a huge problem. What do I do? I mean, that's what he should have done. And you know what I bet Jesus would have done? He would have figured out a way to cover her sin. 
because he loves her and he cares about her. He created her to be his helpmeet. But that's not what happened. Instead, he took the easy way out by not saying anything and not doing anything in choosing her over God. And this goes back to our relationship study on Wednesday. It goes back to that triangle that we've been talking about. That when you choose that other person, rather than God, you're going to have major problems. And the only way for you to actually have that other person in your life that, that doesn't want to follow God's will is for you to forsake and to compromise on your own relationship with God. And you see it right here in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, so let's talk about this. Satan's goal. To question, contradict, and change the Bible. This is what he wants you to do, and he wants you to question it. He wants you to contradict it. He wants it to be changed. He wants it to mean nothing to you. He wants the Bible to mean nothing to you, so that way you live however you want, and then you can say, you know what, I can, I'm my own God. That's exactly what he wants you to do. So what are three things that you can do in order to combat this? What are three things that you've got to do to combat this? All right, first of all, you have to know the Bible. You've got to know the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And give me a few more readers while we're doing this. So everyone, everyone turn to 2 Timothy 2. Uh, give me uh, Sam do Romans 10, 17, Hebrews 11, 6, uh, John 8, 31. Okay, 2 Timothy 2. You've got to know the Bible. And if you've got to know the Bible, what do you got to do? You've got to be in it. And if you really want to know the Bible, you've got to study it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, all modern translations remove the word study. Verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love this verse. If you want to be approved, and if you want to have assurance in your heart that you know what is right, and you can know it securely, I mean, assuredly, every, any other word you can use for it, then you have to study. There's no other way around it. You've got to study the Bible. And that means it's going to be work. You've got to become a workman. Many people are content with just reading the Bible, but you have to do more than that. You have to learn how to study the Bible. You have to. Because if you don't study the Bible, I don't care how much you read it, you may know things about the Bible, you won't truly know the Bible. You won't. You've got to make sure to get into it and study it and learn how to study the Bible. Because if you don't, you're going to make decisions in your life that will make you ashamed. You've got to learn how to rightly divide the Bible. Because if you don't rightly divide it, you're going to wrongly divide it. And you're going to end up in some serious false doctrine. You have to know the Bible. You've got to know it. Secondly, you have to believe the Bible. Believe it. You have to believe the Bible. You've got to know it. You've got to believe it. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith comes by hearing the Bible. Hearing the Bible. But not just hearing it with your ears and with your head. Hearing it with your heart. You only have faith when you hear the Bible with your heart. That's it. It's not just in hearing it. Otherwise, you all would have faith because you all heard the Bible this morning. And there's many of you that don't have faith. And it could be about all sorts of stuff. I'm not just talking about salvation. Maybe that's the case, but it could just be other things in your life. Hebrews 11.6. But, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligence. Okay, so it is impossible to please God without faith. 
You can't please God without faith. And it begins with believing that He is. Which, again, goes back to my point about knowing that this Bible, this book, is God's exact words. When you believe that and you go to it, it will make a difference. You'll have faith that will actually be able to please God. Because you'll believe the Bible over what you feel. You'll believe what the Bible says over what you see in culture. You'll believe the Bible over any sort of winds of the day and what opinions of people might be. Because you believe God. It's very difficult sometimes to believe God and act on it. But God will bless you if you do it. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples? Okay, so there were certain people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but what made them disciples? Yeah. Following him. Yep, and what's the key word from that verse? Go ahead and read it again. Um, it says, If you continue. Yes, continue. Continue, which means you don't stop. You don't stop. You continue in God's Word. When things get tough, you continue. When you start to get tempted to think something different or believe something different, you continue. You continue in His Word. I, my life is a track record of there are times that I've not had faith. There are times where I've not believed God. But I will tell you, every time that I've come back to His book, it has always been true. And I have found that there are things like, oh my gosh, I blew it. I should have done that. I should have done what he just told me to do, but I didn't do it. And it ended up, it ended up being in a world of hurt. So know the Bible, believe the Bible, and you need to love the Bible. You need to love the Bible. Love it with all your heart. That you can't live without it. That it means everything to you. David was called a man after God's own heart in Acts 13. And he wrote Psalm 119. Go over to Psalm 119. Let's just take a look at a few verses in Psalm 119. And it will show you how much David actually loved God's Word. Psalm 119. Alright, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in your Bible. Every stanza starts off with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way through. And it is full of verses that talk about how much he loves God's Word. Alright. Give me some volunteers for this one. Okay. 97, 113, 119, 127, uh, 159, 163, 165. One more. Who else, who else wants to read? Bobby, 167. And then we'll hit the last verse. Okay. Listen to these verses. Go ahead. 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all day. When you love God's law, you think about it all the time. You meditate on it all the time. The things you love, you meditate on all the time. You think about it nonstop. Nonstop. Whether it's a sport, or a book you're reading, or a show you're watching, or a movie that you want to watch, or whatever. I mean, whatever it is, you think about it constantly. So what do you think about the most? Throughout the day, what do you think about the most? When you have spare time, what do you think about? Do you think about God's Word? Do you think about what God has said? Do you think about what God has told you to do? When you love God's Word, it's your meditation all the day. 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Okay, you're going to hate stuff that goes against God's word. You're going to hate it. 119. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love thy testimonies. Again, contrast to wicked, same thing. 127. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above thy It is the most precious thing to you. It is the absolute most precious thing to you. And I'm telling you, people know what you value. They can look at your life and watch you and they know what you value. 
Could someone look at your life from the outside and say, yeah, they love God and His words? Could they say that? 159. Consider how I love my precepts, Okay. So because you love God's word, it actually makes you alive. It saves you from a lot of circumstances. 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Okay. Again, you hate anything that comes against God's word. 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Ooh, this one's a tough one. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing. Nothing, by the way, that's nothing. Okay. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Nothing. We live in a culture that is offended about everything. When you love God's word, nothing will offend you. Nothing, because you're secure. You know what God has said. 167. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Yeah. It's not about your head, it's not about memorizing, it's about your soul keeping God's word. God's word in your life can't be separated. It's so much a part of you that if it were to be ripped out of your life, a piece of you would be gone. That's how much you should love God's word. In Psalm 138, verse 2, God says that He's magnified His word above His name. His book is more important than His own reputation, and God has made it that way. So the way you treat the Bible is the way you treat Him. And if the devil can get in your heart and in your mind you to question it, to, to contradict it, to, for it to mean, not mean anything, then he's won. He's already won the battle. He doesn't have to do much else. We'll take care of the rest because of our idiotic decisions. All right, so let's cap it off. If the enemy of God can accomplish these three goals in your life, then he can do with you and to you whatever he wants. Removing the final authority of the Bible removes your ability to worship God in spirit and in truth. And you will worship the devil. You will, although it won't look like it, because he masquerades as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. The only way that we can combat Satan's goal is, is to fall madly in love with the words of God and the God of the Word. Because when you fall in love with God's Word, it's only a matter of time before you fall in love with the God of the Word. And that is absolutely true. So I do hope that you really take heed to this because, man, whew, I went through this and I'm like, Man, that, 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 that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's really, I needed that. I needed reminded of these things. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about when Satan goes before God and talks about Job. So that's the second time he speaks, and the third time he speaks is when he uh, tempts Jesus out in the wilderness. So we're going to talk about that in the next couple weeks. This Wednesday, we're going to be hitting our dating series again, so make sure you come uh, and be a part of that um, because there's a lot of things that could seriously help you guys with, uh, with your life. All right, any final questions? Okay. All right, great. Can I get someone to pray, and then we will be done. Thank you. Father and Lord, just thank you so much that um, we can start back up our Sunday school. Uh, just have that extra little dose of um, your word um, added to our week. And Lord, I pray that um, we all just learn something important today um, and that we take it and apply it to our lives for the rest of the week. Um, honestly, the rest of our lives too. And Lord, I pray that we all just maintain our focus. Um, Church service and just going on the rest of our day. And don't forget these things. Love you in Jesus' name, my Amen.